You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Asaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, we're going to attempt to talk some basketball today. We will wrap up with some contract news for football coaches, and I perhaps imagine in between we'll talk about contract news for basketball assistant coaches because that's what we do around here these days. Um, probably over now, isn't it? I think so. Okay. I mean, if, if, if it wasn't over after Oklahoma State, I think this loss to Kansas State last night solidifies it. I mean, unless you're talking about something unrealistic. I mean, Huggins, Huggins was on his radio show after the game saying he thinks West Virginia can win five of their last six, and if they win five of their last six, they're in. I think if you win five of their last six, it's a maybe, maybe even a probably, but how realistic is is it of West Virginia winning five of their last six? I, I think that's that's a stretch even if things had gone better in recent days. Five out of six. They haven't done that since the beginning of the year, right? So that's not yeah. a great sign. Um, They're 2-11 and 11 in quad one games now? Yeah. Oof, that's not going to do it. I'll have a couple left, but Bob Huggins had assumed that you almost certainly get Kansas. That has to be one of your five at this point. And I don't know how they're going to score with Kansas. I just don't. It's going to be tough, even at home. But 8 o'clock at night, sold-out crowd. We'll talk about that at some other point, but last night, I don't know how much you help yourself with a win over Kansas State, except that you, you get a team that does think it's going to win the game and continue its postseason quest, as unlikely as it might seem. Kansas State now has won four out of five, has played pretty well, and is kind of racking up good wins here. But I'm not sure West Virginia's a good win as much as it's a bad loss at this point, but West Virginia leads 54 to 44, and then loses 78 to 73, and just all the bad stuff came after um, it had a lead, which is kind of what you expect with this team or anticipate with this team because they do some good things and they play well at times. But in the second half in particular, whether it's the beginning when they don't start well, the middle where they hit a predictable rut or the end where they just can't find a way to make winning plays. Like they haven't made winning plays in a game since, oh, geez, I, I guess the first Kansas State game because they were down 17 and one by three. But you talked about this last time when they beat Oklahoma State. That one kind of got sloppy at the end. Some of their non-conference games really got sloppy at the end. They they were up by 19. They'd win by 9. UConn, probably the most impressive at the end of the game. But think about the Marquette game. Up by 12, they lose. And that's kind of been the hallmark of this team this year. Trailblazers are so many hallmarks, and, and by and large, they're all negative, which leaves the team now in a bad spot. And I don't know how they're going to get out of this unless they win a lot of games that they're not expected to win. Uh, I apologize. They are two and ten in the quad one games right now. So either way, not great. Fourteen eleven overall. And the bubble conversation is by and large, what have you done for me lately? And I guess this is Huggins' point. If they go five and one and then probably make a additional gain in the Big Twelve tournament, then okay, fine. But right now, I lost nine out of ten, and that's not the way to go into March. No, it is not. No, it is not. I mean, I, I pulled up the schedule just a second ago and I'm looking at it and you see four let's call them winnable games. I mean, I think four four games where West Virginia will either 
be a slight favorite or a slight underdog um, at TCU, at Iowa State, at Oklahoma, and home versus TCU. Uh, the the road thing makes it difficult with the with those teams, um, but all four of the I don't think any of those four are unreasonable to think that a West Virginia team could win that. So. I don't want to retract my earlier statement about five and one being out out of out of the realm of possibility, but there's four winnable ones, and then you got Kansas and Texas both at home. Both of those games obviously are going to be very tough. Both teams ranked in the top twenty, but we've seen West Virginia beat Kansas at home. We've seen West Virginia beat Texas when they're ranked. So, yeah, okay, not impossible, but again, there has been nothing that West Virginia has done over the last month. Plus, that gives you any thought that that they're going to actually pull that off. Let's break down the six real quick. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. You have the schedule in front of you? I do. All right. Kansas, quad one. Next one is at TCU, correct? Right. Quad one. Uh-huh. They're 53 in the net right now. Away games that count as quad one or one through 75. After that, what is it? At Iowa State. Quad one. That's maybe the worst team in the Big 12, if not for West Virginia right now, but that's going to be on the road against a team that's 43 still. And again, here's your thing. Like, you think Iowa State stinks. They're significantly higher than West Virginia in the quads right now, or in the net right now. So, yeah, also quad one. After that? Texas at home. Guess what? Quad one. Quad one. After that? At Oklahoma. Guess what? Quad one. After that, TCU at home. Quad two, but on Maybe. the fringe, right? Is it one through? No, 50 no. Actually, no. They're again. They're fifty. They're, yeah, they could be. Right. They're nah. They're fifty three. They're not going to get there. Anyways, okay. five quad one games left. Right. If you get seven quad one wins, that's pretty good. If you get five in the last, you know, week plus two weeks of the season, great. Um, the trouble is that the odds are just against West Virginia because they've lost far more than they've won in the quad one. Um, but listen, as long as there's there's time on the clock, so to speak, your game and the schedule, it's going to be like that. But all the signs are pretty discouraging. And, and last night, just I think the things that frustrate you and and puzzle you about the coach, the team, or the season are all wound up into one ball here and just rolled over them in the second half there, too. I don't know where to begin, but I think the thing that's probably going to frustrate people is just the composition of the lineup at the beginning, where they went back to the starting lineup that they had before, they beat Iowa State to snap the losing streak. They gave that, they get that new lineup two games to to ferment and maybe function, but never really gave it a full faith investment. And then obviously, Gabe Osaboyan doesn't play based on his theatrics at the end of the Oklahoma State game. That factored into things. The guard combinations and the lineup combinations in the second half weren't very good. And then people that you might want to see the score, especially when your team is getting one basket in nine minutes and 50 seconds. Actually, none in nine minutes and 50 seconds, but baskets separated by 950. And your scorers and your shooters and your people who maybe stirred the drink on offense a little bit better on the bench. It's it's hard to accept that here. And I think I understand. Huggins is like trying to stick with people that he believe. And score. I just don't know what more evidence he needs to maybe accept or talk himself out of that because 
They've had a lot of these ruts, and they've had a lot of these games. They get 42 points in the first half. They get 31 in the second half, and a lot of it's because the offense struggled again, and maybe because some answers were on the bench, whether it's on offense or defense. They probably don't give up as many points in the second half of Osaboyan plays, but uh, penalties are penalties, I suppose. It was a rough time to implement that. Uh, it was something I talked about in the three immediate thoughts after the game. It's it's hard to – you don't as a coach, you don't really get to pick when – you you know try to teach a lesson lesson you can't it, it i don't want to say that like that kids and, and student athletes are like dogs but I don't, you have dogs right yeah and if, if your dog say pees on the floor and you don't find it for four hours later you can't then try to teach the dog a lesson four hours later because he's not going to understand what's going on if 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 gabe figuratively pees on the floor by getting ejected you can't then suspend him three games later, a week later. It, it's not going to hit home. Obviously, Gabe is going to understand why a little more, but it's not going to have the same impact. It's not going to teach the same lesson if it's if it's delayed. Um, but that was the season last night, and the best defender, your highest energy guy, one of the key players on your team by every single metric. Um, even even things that aren't metric, if you want to, you know, get to heart, if you will. Um, also the best player there on the bench in, in a great matchup with Kansas State going four guards and a big that's not really that big. It, it was ideal to have Gabe out there. Um, instead, riding the pine the entire game, I was thinking maybe a half because then I was also thinking maybe Kerrigan was a half who also came into the game and played great. Once he got in there, uh, I believe he I mean, he had no he he didn't play the first half. I know that. And I think the second half. Um, it was like he didn't get in until the final six minutes or he played one minute in the first half and then he didn't play in the second half until like the last handful of minutes, like all five of his second half minutes came in like the last five minutes, basically, which. So he wasn't. Suspended, just chose not uh, suspended. I know, I know Huggins bristled at that word um, for, for Gabe. So I guess we won't use it for Kerrigan either, but he, he wasn't in trouble. This wasn't, uh, you know, a, a punitive thing where he's being benched, just not playing, but was pretty clearly the best option when he was in there. I, I don't know. It was, it was very strange uh, on the big man front. And, and again, we'll get to the, the guard thing too, but. It was. It seemed like a concerted effort here by Huggins to make a point, make multiple points to Gabe, to Kerrigan, and also. And I. This is the one of the three that I agree with that that I liked was to try to get some confidence for Cottrell. It, it seemed like he told Cottrell, "I'm going to play you more. You are going to shoot the ball." We are going to run plays for you, and you're going to make it happen. Now, it was mixed results. I mean, people see 13 points, they're like, holy cow, but it took 14 shots to get there, and your foot ten big man, it took 22 minutes before he grabbed his first rebound. His only rebound. His only rebound. Um, had more turnovers than rebounds. So uh, let's not get too crazy. But you saw glimpses, and I saw it, it seemed to me that Huggins was trying to make a point that that 
he was trying to build Cottrell's confidence back up to to hammer it home that he is a good player, can be a good player. So I, I did agree with that one of those three goals, I guess, he had for the big men in this game. All right. The U-Haul truck is outside my office. There's a lot to unpack there, Chris. <laughs> I'll, I'll begin the starting lineup. Okay. I don't get it. But if you're not going to play Osaboyan and perhaps Kerrigan, okay, maybe you start Cottrell, but I don't understand why like maybe Polycap doesn't start there. Um, Kansas State plays four guards, and then Bradford, Bradford is kind of like a, I don't know, I don't want to say a net zero because he gives you some good things and bad things, but he played 11 minutes last night. He made four free throws. He didn't get a rebound. He's seven foot, like 260, and he was just kind of a cinder block out there. So if you can accurately project that Isaiah Cottrell is going to move that guy out of the paint and then make some shots and get some passes to people in, in position to score or or a pass to somebody who gets the ball to somebody who's in position to score, sure. It just seemed like a weird thing to do, but okay, fine. Um, starting Keydrian Johnson was, in hindsight, not a terrible idea because he had a pretty good first half. I can get that. It just surprised me because, I don't know, like, what are you doing? You're talking about matchups and how you only have the personnel to match up to so many teams in the Big 12, which is accurate. You had a chance to match up and kind of played a little bit different than you had been. Um, putting control at the five is an odd thing to me because – he really didn't play the five in the first half. You know what I mean? Right. His first post touch did not come for a while. They played very well early on with him stretched out on the perimeter, um, took some shots, made some shots. He passed the ball, had a really good entry pass inside to bridges, I believe for an easy two. And he was active and he looked good. So maybe they got that one, right? I don't know, but it just seemed like a strange thing to do to put your guy in. Who's not really a five at the five. And not only that, but like Cottrell hadn't been really playing the five, even playing with a second big as a four. But it kind of worked out. He was good in the first half. Um, I say that, but I'm looking at it now five points. But he was two for seven. I'm okay with the seven. He had an assist. He played good defense, but just didn't rebound. And again, starting Kedrian Johnson, um, they're so guard heavy, Kansas State, with the two point guards who just dribble at you a lot. I, I can see maybe the need to play him a lot. But look, he responded nine points, made four free throws, had four rebounds, hit a three pointer in the first half. He vindicated it. So. I don't know. People are going to pull out their hair and be frustrated by the first half, um, by, by the lineup to start the game. But in the first half, it did work. Like I'm looking at their numbers now. They had 19 scores on 32 possessions. They only had five turnovers, um, 1.3 points per possession. Um, what does that mean? Well, how about this? That's half a point better than it was in the first half, right? So they're basically getting one basket every other time down the court in comparison to the second half. So it looked good in the first half. Now, other people are going to say, well, hey, you know, they needed to get more of Kobe Johnson in there. Um, they need to get more of Seth Wilson in there. I get it, but I don't know what you don't like about that first half. Played well, had a lead. Trouble is, it, it just didn't work in the second half there. So, I don't know. Let's let's sniff it here. Okay to make the starting lineup change? Are you okay with the starting lineup change? Did it make sense? Was it vindicated? Vindicated, sure. Because you're right, Kitty did play well. Um, I still... But it doesn't change. You can't. What is old saying? You can't. You know, can't be results oriented. You got to. You got to go with what. What actually? Like, you can't look in hindsight. It just. Mm-hmm. You can't do that because I believe the best. And we talked about this after last game. What you need, you have to look at the other guys. And and we identified the core three of 
Sherman, Bridges, and McNeil. And then you have to, the, the next two pieces need to be what fits best with those three guys, what's missing from those three guys. And someone like Kobe Johnson and his, you know, he doesn't need to have the ball all the time. And he's a good defender. He's long. He's switchable uh, with a lot of different positions. I think he, he while Keedy is a, at times, good on-ball defender, uh, he's not as capable of switching on defense as Kobe Johnson is. So I would have kept him out there. And here's the other part of this. Like, it, it is possible for both of them to play well. Uh, Kobe and Keedy, yeah. <laughs> and and they did in the first half. Like I said, Keedy, Keedy was great in the first half, and he was okay in the second half. Kobe came in for three minutes, hit a three, and the team was plus five with him on the court in the first half. Um, and that's it. He came in for two more minutes in the second half and, and, that was, and didn't shoot the ball, didn't get to do anything. That was it. Uh, you know, meanwhile, Curry's coming in. Three turnovers, three fouls in nine minutes. And missed all the shots, rushed a couple. Just not a great, I mean, not a great game is, is a very nice way of saying it. But there's somewhere where you have to find minutes for these guys. And, and, and as someone pointed out, and as we've touched on before, we've admitted before, we, we have kind of, gone in on in football of Neil Brown not changing anything and expecting different results. And same thing seems to be happening here with basketball. Uh, You know, all this talk of going to play the young guys, going to play the young guys, going to play the young guys. Kobe Johnson, five minutes, nine minutes, ten minutes, eight minutes. That's what he's been playing the last few games. That's what he played earlier in the season. Five minutes, nine minutes, eight minutes, seven minutes. Um Seth Wilson, maybe a couple more minutes a game, but not much. And I get, where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? Like, I don't, <laughs> you're not getting much from Curry and Keedy seem to be, you got a 50-50 shot of one of them having a good game, maybe. And and you need to find more consistency. You need to find time for those guys to get on the court because they're playing well. The Kobe thing is perplexing to me. Uh, lap between last game, you know, Huggins talking about how the point guard play was terrible when Kobe started the game and was good, and then he subbed in Keedy to start the second half, and then complained about how bad Keedy was, but never put Kobe back in. It didn't make any sense then. It still doesn't make sense now. Every single metric said that says that this West Virginia team is better with Kobe Johnson on the court. Um, you had Evan Miyakawa on here. He broke it down, really talked about how he, how he does all that stuff, um, and how the numbers show that, but even the more, you know, straightforward, just plus minus stuff. And I know you can't look at that for one game that there's too many variables in that, but when you look at it over the course of an entire season and it's still pointing to Kobe Johnson, uh, I believe second best on the team, maybe behind Taz for the whole year. Like, it matters. Something is happening there. Something works there with Kobe, and he's got to play more than five minutes a game. Yes. And in the first half where Sean McNeil has 2,000 doesn't play very much, um, you can get creative with your guards a little bit. And then Kobe played from the 226 mark, made a three on an assist from Kerrigan. So Kerrigan did play the first half, by the way. I forgot about that. Yeah, um, I didn't realize he went in for one minute. It must have been the last minute because you yeah. and I were both talking about him 
not being out there. Yep. And then, uh, so again, he played less than two minutes. He played 159 in the first half, Kobe Johnson, but gets a gets a basket on his one and only look. And then that's all he played in the first half. And again, um, I wonder if I want, here's what I wonder if, if Keydrian Johnson isn't playing very well, does, does Kobe play more or is Huggins going to stick with it? Cause again, the guards on the, on the other team are good. I, I think, I think the jury might return a surprising outcome on Kobe Johnson's defense, excuse me, on Keydrian Johnson's defense, especially when he fouls four times and a half, yeah. like he did in the second half, but whatever. I mean, they can't keep teams out of the paint and by and large as guards. So I'm not really sure that, the the defensive stop reputation applies to everybody now as it used to before because they do get turnstiled sometimes out in the perimeter. So that's the thing. But um, nevertheless, they're fine in the, in the first half, and they're up, and they're feeling pretty good. Um, I think seven points could have been nine, but they foul um, right at the end of the first half and then had a chance. I think Cottrell travels when he has probably a look at a layup or a dunk. So could have been nine, could have been 11, who knows, but you should feel pretty good about that. And then it just all goes bad in the second half again, which this is where you can kind of get into some guard things and rotations with players. But um, a little bit of foul trouble for Keydrian Johnson. I think he has one basket, but six points in the second half, fouled four times, eventually fouled out of the game, was frustrated, you could tell. And, and again, whether whether he couldn't or wouldn't keep his hands off of people, a ton of, let's not talk about the officials now, but a ton of whistles in the second half, superfluous, mm-hmm. unnecessary. And that puts... Malik Curry on the floor, who was complicit in this game falling apart. I'm not putting it on one person, but um, you can't get the ball at the circle past half court, stop, and then throw like a 22-foot entry pass to Taz Sherman, who's posting up at the foul line on a perfect 90-degree angle and expect to complete that pass. That led to transition. Um, he also called for the was called for the flagrant foul, which is kind of when this game swung and just – He's not been good for a while, and he just seems like he is perhaps miscast as a two-guard, as, as a point guard for sure, but also as a guy who just needs to be catching the ball and doing something with it. But just time and again here tonight, you, you saw a guy who just kind of had one move and one gear, and that was to dribble and jerk and hesitate and try to go left, and teams aren't letting him do that now. He ends up shooting threes on the right side when it's early in the shot clock, loses the handle a couple of times, and just nothing really worked when he's in there. And and it's not all his fault. Guys don't move around with him. And I don't know if it's because they know that they're not going to get it or they know the ball's not going to move very well. If they're tired, if they're just calling his number and saying, Malik, go get us a bucket because we need it because they did need it. But this seems like they fell into a trap again where you know, Huggins was asked about this the other day. You know, you said that Kobe Johnson was your steadiest and that Kedrian Johnson's your best defender and that Malik Curry's your best scorer. You're really wobbling on the road against Oklahoma State, and Kobe Johnson doesn't play. What gives? Well, we need a point, so we played Malik Curry. We should have played Malik Curry more or earlier. Okay, that's kind of what happened here. This lead is falling apart. They need points. They went to Malik Curry, but it didn't work last time, and it didn't work this time. And it just seems like the script is leading you in the direction that you know it's leading you now, which is not the direction that you want it to lead you now. You can't make it go where you want it to go. Like You eventually have to change and lean into where things are taking you. And that just seemed like an example for me where what happened Saturday and what would happen some number of times before with Malik Curry in charge of the offense, that could have, should have, would have been used in the moment on the road. If not for maybe concerns about a freshman point guard holding your team together in a game you absolutely cannot lose. And I wonder if it's as simple as that. Trust the veteran who can get you some points instead of a guy who just hasn't been in this situation for one reason or another. All right. I think you 
covered Curry adequately because I don't think I can add anything there. So let me ask you where you want to go from here. Would you like to talk about the straight line drives or would you like to go the Sean McNeil route right now? Let's do McNeil because we, we kind of sideswiped him in the first half and he probably deserves more time here. What if I told you that Sean McNeil statistically is better in every offensive category this season than last? I would believe it because he was extremely consistent not that long ago. But that was before the book was bound, printed, and distributed to the rest of the Big 12. Yep. His, his points per game up by almost a full point. Field goal percentage up almost 3%. Three-point percentage up almost a full percent. Uh, he's grabbing more rebounds, which is stunning to me. Uh, he has more assists. He has more steals. Uh, he's fouling less than he has in the past. Statistically, it looks like he's improved. But you're right, and, and Huggins has said it, and he was, it was surprisingly blunt in his postgame radio. Uh, God, what game was that after? It, it was a few games ago. It wasn't the most recent two or three, but said that essentially opposing teams just know that they can get right up in McNeil's grill because he does not have the ability to dribble past them and go to the rim. And, and yet they set a lot of screens for him on the perimeter. Yes. I want to push back a little bit on what Huggins said because I think McNeil does have the ability to get there because he is really quick when he has that ball. He gets into a a triple threat stance. He rips it through and he goes. But for reasons that I cannot figure out, he gets past his man and then stops. He gets past his man and pulls up for a long two instead of finishing that drive and getting all all the way to the rim. I can't even count how many times I have seen him start a drive, have a clear lane to the bucket, and just stop for a pull-up jumper. Almost like he knows, like, hey, I, I'm not the guy that, that finishes at the rim. I got I to gotta take this jumper. When Why can't he be the guy that finishes at the rim? He's already passed his man. He's got the first step. It's just that he doesn't finish the drive. Um, but that's the scouting report. You're right. It, it, is, it is set in stone. It has been etched in a tablet. It has been passed around to everyone in the Big 12 Conference, and they're all doing the same exact thing. In the last three games, McNeil has shot six, five, and six shots from the floor, the three lowest marks of the entire season. After the game, Bob Huggins said he doesn't even want to get McNeil more shots on his postgame radio. He was asked, are you trying to get McNeil more shots? And he said, the shots aren't falling. Why would I want to get him more shots? Here's- I Here's an issue. I never thought I would hear that about Sean McNeil. Yeah, and here's an issue though too. Um, He's shooting 45 percent from three point range in Big 12 play. It's a phenomenal number. Yeah, but he's taking 4.4 a game. This is what I've been calling. Like, if I were coaching him, I'd tell him to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot again. Now, some of it is he's he's going to get a six four six five guy on him, and he's you can tell he's not comfortable with that, and like. He can feel it, I think, sometimes before he gets the ball or as soon as he gets the ball. So, for example, Mark Smith, the transfer from Missouri, who's a very good player and a transfer, 
he does a lot of things for a team and and is a pretty good defender on top of that. But he he shoots, he scores, he rebounds, he passes, he plays defense. And he was on McNeil a lot during that game. He's a long guy, he's a thick guy, and he's aggressive. He's an older guy who who just just does what he wants to do sometimes out there. But he was all over McNeil, and like I don't know if McNeil didn't want to do anything with it, if he didn't know what to do with it, but it got to a point where he would do something to to get the ball and then it wasn't there and he got rid of it and he just kind of stayed stationary and the the offense kind of moved around him a little bit and it was congested you had three guys out on a wing and you're like what's going on here and just again 4.43s a game in big 12 play that's not what he needs to be doing um he he's got to be better than that he is a half a three game better for the course of the season so you figure that's about that's probably one and a half threes more if i do the math right in my head if i'm looking at it right yeah he's shooting he was shooting far more threes per game in non-conference play than he is in conference play. So why? Why is it not there now? Um, and I think it's because he either can't get him or he doesn't want to. But the the trouble here is that that's not a guy you can spring. Like, is he great coming off of screens? No. Um, is he going to be great with a screen? I don't know, because you can still get an arm up over him, too. And to your point about his, his start and stop offense, I guess we can call it, too. Mm-hmm. I think he practices those shots like crazy, right? I can see absolutely where he, I don't know, you tape off a square and he just tries to get his shot in that square over and over and over and over and over, and he probably makes those. I don't know how many times Sean McNeil does that and continues with a finger roll or a bank shot or reverse in the baseline. I just don't think he does that a lot because that might not be in his bag. Should it be? I mean, if he's coming back for another year, it better be in his bag because the book is not going to change on him. He's going to have to become a much better one-on one or one on team offensive player than he is right now, but um, just vanishing and the foul trouble last night, discouraging, but you're talking a guy who who took six shots, made two, only gave you five points again in a game. You had to have had to have, and just for him not to be there is, is discouraging. And then that doesn't even really cover his defensive problems where teams isolate him and try to cook him. I mean, that was clearly who Huggins is talking about um, in a game not long ago where they just isolated him and had a layup and a three pointer and, Kansas State switched so many things, so many things, or made, made West Virginia switch so many things, and they were trying to get, um, you know, one of their guards on Cottrell, which kept happening. They were trying to get a big guy isolated against one of their ball handlers, and it, it kept being, you know, was it Pack, was it Noel, was it um, Miguel, who doesn't really play that much or that well, getting isolated. Um, I know that McNeil ended up against Miguel a couple times, and Miguel got free throws. And those kind of those possessions and points matter, especially as the fouls add up and, and a team is trying to claw back or stay ahead. He's he's just got to be better than he has been. But if you look at the numbers again, a tremendous percentage from three point range, still getting you twelve point seven points per game, about an assist a game, about a steal per game, rebounding okay, but man, from two point range, forty three point one percent. Got to have a better second option on offense than than he has right now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I made the comment that if Sean McNeil is your fourth option, you're in a good spot, mm-hmm. but it's not capable of being a first or second option. Is that too harsh? Well, here's why. If he's your fourth option, great. Only if two and three are better than him. 
that's not the situation. Um, Jalen Bridges shoots more threes per game. So McNeil has the 45.3 in Big 12 play. Bridges shoots more. He's 33.3 in Big 12 play. Yeah. So who do you want those shots going to? That's why the people are just pleading with McNeil, shoot it, please, shoot it. 26 feet away, don't care. Shoot it. It's better than our one-foot offense sometimes. If you might luck out and bank in a three or maybe we get fouled in a rebound or something like that, please shoot it for us. Help us. So those are the things that they're telling him because it's got a good chance of working um, in that, <laughs> again, he's more likely to hit like a 23-footer than for them to run some great play and get a back cut and a layup and finish a layup too. So it's got to be frustrating. And I just I just wonder right now um, – I wonder what would happen if they were playing like Oklahoma at home on Saturday and not Kansas. Mm-hmm. I just wonder about that. I'm not saying the schedule cuts them break because they're getting a top 10 team that scores a lot. Um, that has not played very well in the Coliseum, but that scores a lot has probably the player of the year in the conference, so on and so forth. That'll get you some juice. But like, if that was Oklahoma, you're not going to have a sellout crowd. I-, I wonder about, I frankly wonder about Osaboyan. I wonder about like McNeil's want to, I wonder about some of these players who know they're finished after the year, whether they're seniors or not. I just wonder what the move would be like. So, I mean, at the very least, they have one more carrot left to dangle in front of them to get them to Saturday and see what happens. Yeah, I was a little concerned. I mean, I think the fact that these two games were back-to-back on the road maybe kept some guys' attention for this uh, game against Kansas State. But, yeah, now, now that... Both of those games have happened, and there's a five-day, yeah, four or five, four days between five days until the next game. That next game is going to be a top ten team that going to be tough, uh, going to be very tough. Um, it, it's <sighs> who knows. I, I don't. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's been times this year where I thought they that they were cashing it in that they were done and they weren't so maybe they'll surprise me but I, I think Saturday is a game that could get very ugly and they could win by 11 too right yeah exactly it's it's hard to say yeah I mean that's what's kind of frustrating about them like they're, they're probably going to be in this game for much of the first half they'll have great energy the crowd will be there and again like Kansas is Kansas sometimes plays to the to the I don't want to say place to the crowd, to the venue. They'll get into a game sometimes that maybe they don't have any business being into. They'll lose some games, too. They're like, huh, how'd that happen? Historically, not this season so much. I think they're 20-4. and four. They haven't had too many bad nights. But, for example, they have a hard time in Oklahoma State in some years. They have a hard time at Kansas State some years. So it can happen. But, like, a lot's going to have to fire for West Virginia. Um, and they got they got steamrolled in the second half of their first game against, and that's going to be hard because, again, they still don't have someone who can match up with David McCormick. So what was funny is everybody freaked out after the Kansas game the first time because McCormick and, oh, my gosh, their bigs aren't very good. There's really no one still like McCormick in the Big 12. Problem is they haven't solved that problem, and here comes McCormick again. So that's going to be an issue, and I'm sure that – I'm sure he's very excited about coming into the paint in the Coliseum and seeing if he can do his damage again too. Um, two more things before we go. Just down the stretch. I mean, the game was there. It, it was there. I mean, just a, this is how bizarre – the ending was here and kind of emblematic of West Virginia's seasons. And like I said, it struggles late in the game. Um, the winning team missed its last five shots. Went one for nine down the stretch and did not make a basket into the last 348 at home. And that team won by five. And that's just because 
the Mountaineers could not make shots. Jalen Bridges had good threes and missed them. Uh, I don't. Did he draw the rim on either one? Uh, the one rushed one was down four, I think, with a little over a minute left. Uh, that one. No, the second one was the one that because that one was rushed, and I don't think that hit rim. And then there was the other one that was that did not hit rim, and they ended up calling. I believe they ended up calling a um, shot clock, you know, violation because I think yeah. it went off as he shot the ball. Uh, Taz Sherman, he's been better. Two turnovers in the final minute. Um, mm-hmm. Again, like in a, a three and a five point game, just they could not get things to. Uh, Kerrigan played the last five minutes of the game and was pretty good defensively. Got a put back, foul on a three point shooter. Um, that's that's tough to take, and just just things that had chances to do and could not do. Um, we mentioned that, hey, this is the night for Isaiah Cottrell. He didn't play the last 826. Right. And I'm not sure that's a negative. He played 26 minutes. So if he didn't play the last nine minutes of the game, that means he played 26 of the first 31 minutes and took 14 shots. He's 5 right. of 14 um, and missed his final four. And I think Huggins was like, oh, boy. Uh, Cottrell thinks he's in the building. <laughs> Maybe he's not. And he put him on the bench, but they got they – got, Good minutes from Kerrigan until some unfortunate stuff that, again, um, just kind of a weird thing to see, which we'll get into the whistles, I promise. But, like, they, they had chances there and just could not make the play. And, again, just, that's one thing that separated them in a lot of these games they've lost. They've been there and just haven't had a chance to make a winning play. And that's not like Kansas State did last night. Kansas State made free throws and got some good whistles in their favor. But 0 for 5, 1 for 9, no baskets in the final 348, and you win at home by 5, uh, that's, that's difficult to accept there, too. So don't know. Uh, finally, Chris. Mm-hmm. Is Kansas State good? No. They're a matchup problem. They they have one, maybe two good players. Oh. I mean, they have, excuse me, one or two very good players. And mm-hmm. then some, some, some decent players, some good players. Um, but, yeah, it's, you're right. It, it was a matchup problem because they're, they're quick. They're shifty. They're quick. One of West Virginia's biggest issues – all year long and seemingly the last half dozen years or well, not that, not that long, but the last couple years is letting guys get into the paint, letting guys drive to the lane. That was what Oklahoma state did. There was no rim protection. They're getting by guys. I thought Kerrigan was like, again, this is part of the reason that I thought Kerrigan was the best option down there for this one. And that Gabe would have been great is just defense around the rim. You're not getting that from Cottrell. You just, not that's not his game and that stretch after in the Oklahoma State game I pointed out three key stretches where Oklahoma State came back from seven down came back from six down and then extended their lead from eight to 20 and in all three instances Oklahoma their shot selection their shot chart was layup layup dunk layup 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 in this game West Virginia's up 10 that 54 44 in the second half Kansas State's Next handful of shots, layup, three-pointer, layup that draws a foul, layup, layup, layup that draws a foul, layup, jumper, layup. Tie game. Oh, man. So it, it's, it's not rocket science. All these teams are coming back and or taking leads against West Virginia by doing the same thing. Just don't shoot threes. Just go right to the basket. Right to the basket. West Virginia cannot stay in front of you, and they have no one back there defending the rim. Not last night. No. Right. Um, 
it's a, it's unusual for me to see a Kansas State team playing hard for Bruce Weber late in the season. So kudos to him. He's made that happen. Uh, which one of these coaches said this? I'm proud of our guys. I'm the worst loser in the world, but I'm proud of them today. I thought we competed. Could have given up several times. They didn't. We missed some shots. We missed some key shots, but we didn't quit. I'm pleased with them. I think we're going in the right direction. We've got, what, six or seven more league games? We need to go do what we're supposed to do. Chris, was that Robert Huggins or Bruce Weber? Well, you know I know the answer because that was Robert Huggins. Um, a bizarre press conference for him last night. I'm not putting a lot of stock into what he says after these games. I think he was playing a character last night, to be honest with you, because he said he didn't have a good view of the action on the floor. Um, he had to go back and watch some things to see if they did something wrong. He was not going to comment on the officiating. He was not going to talk about his substitution patterns. He was not going to give us the pound of flesh last night. I think he was really upset with it, and he was not going to stoke the fire, fan the flames, whatever you want. Um, that looked like a guy who was pretty much worn out on his team or the officiating. That wasn't a fun road trip, I'm sure. That's a place he likes and a place I think he wants to win, obviously. I think that's a coach he wants to beat, and it did not work. Um, if you did the opposite of what he said, that might be more accurate than the actual words that came out of his mouth. I'm not putting a lot of stock into his news conferences these days just because I think that it can be sometimes a, a bit of a vaudeville thing. And last night just seemed like a guy who was not going to give people what they wanted not to be mean or cruel or you know inconvenient, but I just think that he wasn't going to play into it. Um, case in point, the officiating, he wasn't going to go into it. Um, I, I, I've only said this a couple times this season, and I'm batting 1,000. There are some times you see the three officials and you go, this is a bad crew. And last night I said it, and I was surprised in the first half because they stayed out of the way, and that was kind of fun basketball. Um, 17,000 the first half. 17, right? It's not bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we end up at 44 fouls, which means 27 fouls in the second half. We get a flagrant. We get a double technical because I'm assuming that John Higgins wasn't happy that Raina Tilly called a technical. And not that it was wrong, but that Raina Tilly called a technical. So John Higgins had to come in and also call a technical. Um, that was a shame for Kerrigan because he did nothing wrong. He got shoved in the face and then just put his arms up and moved out of the way. It's not one of those things where, oh, maybe it's what he said instead of what he did. He didn't say anything either. So unless, I don't know, turning your head slightly to the left is now worthy of a technical foul. That was a mistake. And then the the flagrant on Malik Curry is a really hard call. Um, I don't think he saw the guy <clears throat> well enough to really make a calculated move to hurt him. I think he saw a guy in the paint and said, man, I screwed up. I'm not letting this guy score. Make him earn the two free throws. And he hit him around the elbows, I think, and just wouldn't let him go up. It looked bad. Um, they reviewed it and somehow turned it from a personal into a flagrant. And then just the way it was over-officiated in the second half, um, it didn't help anybody. It didn't make a difference in one team or the other, except that at the end, um, Kansas State shoots 39 free throws, 15 more than West Virginia. And in the second half, uh, 19 out of 26. So more free throws in the second half for Kansas State than for West Virginia in the entire game. So maybe it did matter, but I thought it was bad on both sides. It was pretty terrible. And and that... Higgins double tech that you're talking about was just one of the it's the reason that everybody hates Higgins it is the other ref who did you know who the other ref was I didn't that's know Raina Tilly that was Raina, it, that was the right call like one Higgins made the correct call originally with the the foul on Kerrigan Kerrigan definitively fouled the guy on the shot the first guy that was driving down the baseline uh and then Raina Tilly made the correct call in that whoever that was for Kansas state shoved Kerrigan and should have gotten a technical. And 
you could see Higgins just step in there and be like, no, no, we're calling Tex on both. Even though you're at right, Kerrigan did nothing. And he was insistent about it. You could see the other ref try to tell him, no, 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 just him. And Higgins is shaking his head, saying, no, 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 both of them. And then they go and review it. And how you go and review it and still come out with two techs blows my mind. That is just the epitome of Higgins and why everyone can't stand him. And, and I think at the time I said, you know, uh, this isn't, I'm not trying to make this sound like sour grapes because this, uh, it was like a nine point game. And I was like, this is not why West Virginia is going to lose this game. But Higgins is just the absolute worst. Well, a couple minutes later, it's a one point game. And you know what would have been real nice? Two free throws for West Virginia and the ball. <laughs> like, holy cow. I want to be in the film room when Huggins does have a second look at it. Yeah, that was, you mentioned he wasn't taking the bait on any of this stuff. I think he got, Caridi teed him up. He lobbed it up there for him to uh, go off on the officiating. And Huggins started down that road, talking about wanting to review the film and look at a few things. And then just kind of meandered off into another thought and started talking about his own team and and then kind of just didn't actually say anything somehow. Just it, it started like it started down a road of I'm about to rip into officiating and ended with nothing. Yeah. Um yeah, he just wasn't going there last night. Which, I asked yeah, him, which was his point. I was gonna say I'm not saying he like lost his thought and was just like, you know, rambling. He his point was I'm not doing this. Like yeah. Said. Just a case in point here, too. Just another. This is actually a Huggins quote. But I asked him just about like, hey, your guard play was good in the first half. But what what did you see in the second half? And what dilemmas did you have about you know, the, the gravity of that moment? How important it was and trying to get the right people in there. And he said, well, it seems like every time down there was a whistle and it's hard to play like that. But what I'm trying to say is I've got to look at it and see what we were doing, what we were doing wrong. It's hard to see from as far away as I was and what was wrong, what, what we were going with, what was going on. Um, they were not right in front of us. So I've got to take a look at it and see. Um, I'm pretty sure the offense was in front of Huggins in the second half. Hey, uh, does, does Bramlage Coliseum have different uh, dimensions on their court? Yeah, it's not like a press box where it's different in every arena. Like the coaches are like right there. And like he was, the, the offense was in front of him in the second half too. So again, I just don't think he was going to go there too. Um, let's switch gears, switch sports, football, Chris. Mm-hmm. Jordan Leslie. Got a nice house. Three-year contract. Raise. He's good. As we had reported, defensive line coach Andrew Jackson, safeties coach Dante Wright, both get new contracts and raises. Shadon Brown, Jeff Coons get new contracts, no raises. So three years for Jordan Leslie, and then two more years for the rest of the defensive staff. New receivers coach Tony Washington inked. Graham Harrell, inked, obviously. Sean Reagan, Matt Moore, Chad Scott, their contracts are not amended. So West Virginia has doubled down on the defensive staff. Hard to argue with that. And you can pretty much tell that Reagan, Moore, and Scott are in a one-year audition for Graham Harrell. Hey, do your job. Get along with the new guy. Have some positive results and some progress. You might come back. If not, uh, you might be down at the coaching convention in January looking for a new gig. That's kind of the game, but I don't think it's a surprise. 
you had to really give the the lowest paid coaches a raise, but you also want to keep right in Washington. Otherwise, somebody will come in and get him because they can. So that's good. Um, keep everybody on defense together. Keep Leslie there. That seems like a good idea if you want to keep things going. If you want to keep your strength as your strength, do it. And then the offense, they're going to have to earn it. That hasn't been the good side of the ball. It's going to have to prove that it's making changes if you're going to change your employment situation. I have absolutely zero issue with everything you just said about the contracts. All the news that you had in that story this morning, uh, breaking breaking the news on the new contracts and the not new contracts. So it should be. You know what? You know what side of the ball has been great for the last three years? The defense. They get rewarded. They get extensions. They get raises. You know what side of the ball has not been great the last three years? Offense. No extensions. New and, and new coaches coming in. Uh, I mean, it, it's it, it's not brain surgery here. It's not rocket science. Do your job. Get raises. Get extensions. Those guys on the defensive side of the ball have, have certainly done that uh, at all three levels. I think have have had positive, have had a positive impact. And I'm not saying that the guys on offense aren't good coaches. Uh, they are. They wouldn't be here if they weren't. But production matters. And Shane Lyons, the athletic department, everybody that works there in the athletic department, they need to approve races. And they're not going to approve anybody at this point who is not producing. And I think that's why you're looking for that offense to, I don't know if I want to go so far as an audition to keep their jobs for the jobs they already have, but it kind of feels like that this season. Yeah. Um, And they're under the 4 million mark too, which honestly, why would you exceed it for what you've had in the field, right? Mm -hmm. So it went from three and a half to 4 million. Um, They're at 3.96, I believe. So that's good. Um, They have a lot of money promised for, uh, the 2023 season, and they might have, I don't know, they might need three new coaches, but you and I did the math beforehand. They can do it because a lot of money will come off the books if they're starting from from scratch at I don't know, more than one position. They should be okay. So it's not bad. Um, and it's the way you have to do things now, too. So it's good money. And I wouldn't think about where they rank in the Big 12 or, or nationally. If they're going to be good in the Big 12, they'll be respectable nationally. But $4 million bucks for West Virginia in football, that's a lot to devote to assistant coaches. That's, that's every coach making four hundred grand. Not every coach is going to do it, but that's your average salary for WVU. That's pretty good. Um, you can do that. You can do a lot with four hundred grand in Morgantown, too. So um, it, it, it makes sense. I don't think anybody's going to agree with that. And motivate. Like, if you're trying to get things going, you shake things up a little bit, too. I think it'd be hard to bring in a new offensive coordinator and then say, by the way, your your new tight ends coach, who was your quarterbacks coach, your offensive line coach, especially your running backs coach. Um, listen, they're staple to you for two more years. That's hard to do. Very. Anything else, Chris? Can I give one positive note for basketball before we go? Just to end on a just a little high note, a little something, little glimmer of hope for the hardcore basketball fans out there do it west virginia has played the third most quad one games in the entire country one of the toughest schedules out there eighth hardest going into last night and as you noted earlier five of the last six will be quad one or likely quad one games in the year if west virginia can win four of them they would have six wins in quad one uh give or take one, depending on, you know, those fringe teams that their rankings might change, might slip to quad two or quad two might be quad one, might be more. Only 10 teams have six quad one wins this season. Really? Um, 
So, I mean, obviously other teams have more games to go to, but West Virginia's had a really, really hard schedule. And it's kind of getting easier, but still has, as you noted, some some resume padding games remaining because obviously playing at TCU is not the same as playing at Kansas. But when you're lumping them into quads, they're quote unquote the same. Um, they are both quad one. So if West Virginia can get four, it's interesting. It's it's there's an argument. I don't. I was poo pooing Huggins' comments post game. I'm only meh about them right now. So here's the thing. Here's something though. If if they beat Iowa State, mm-hmm. Iowa State's not making the tournament. No. If they beat Oklahoma, Oklahoma's not making the tournament. Right. So like some of these wins might actually come at a cost. And again, TCU, I have no idea. I really don't know because I think that team is going to be tough to beat at TCU because that's going to be that's after the Kansas game on Saturday, correct? Yeah, that's that's hard, man. They're not good in the road, and those Saturday Mondays are tough. Although Kansas just played three games in six days, so I don't Kansas State, excuse me, just played three games in six days and looked pretty good at the end last night. So that's maybe not an excuse or a explanation anymore. But that's going to be difficult. That team's tough at home. They have matchups. They have a really good and they have good guards that get in the paint too. That's going to be hard. I just don't know what to expect there, but. If they go, if they go one on one or two and zero against TCU, I'm not sure TCU makes the tournament. I'm not sure that some of these teams beat West Virginia get in the tournament either, right? That's what's kind of strange. Like it'll be a really interesting deal for how Iowa State is viewed in this thing because they're still really good in the in the net. Haven't done anything in the Big Twelve. Had a great non conference, right? Got some good wins and played played the numbers game right. They've been below average, been bad. Lost to West Virginia, right? That's not good. And then Oklahoma, we'll see. TC will see. So it's, I guess to your point, there's a lot left to play for and a lot left to prove because this is this puzzle is not solved. Someone's got to go in the in the conference. This team is not gonna. This league is not gonna send five teams to the tournament. You know, right. so the reputation will scoop some teams up. Could it be West Virginia? We'll see. So beat these teams, and they might drop, which hurts your resume. So lose to them, get a better good loss. Better for the resume? Or does that only work in football? It only works in football, I think. I don't know. It's hard for me to wrap my head around, Chris. <laughs> On the site right now, check out the uh, the names and the numbers for the the um, new contracts for football. We'll try to dissect a little bit of basketball here in the next couple of days. Got a bit of a break, which probably everybody um, last night wearing a blue uniform or a pullover needs. We'll hear from them on Friday. Chris, how are you filling the space? Uh, I got some recruiting stuff going up. A couple right now, update with a four-star lineman, a four-star wide receiver. Going to have news with a couple recent preferred walk-on commitments. Um, also going to use this this opportunity, this this break between games to... I, it's too early for a post-mortem, I guess, but just reevaluate because uh, you may not have heard this, Mike, but... I had a pretty terrible basketball preview this year. Mm. <laughs> I have heard this from people. Uh, yes, uh, I was gonna say uh, whatever it was, eight to ten years. I, I have p- predicted the exact number of wins or within one win, and this year is obviously not gonna be that case because I was higher on this team than a lot of people. Um, and almost immediately, as soon as that story went up, I got a text from a, a capital S source that said, "Oh boy." You are 
I, let's just say that they weren't quite as positive as I was. And, and I need to reevaluate, reevaluate why. Why was I so far off on this team? Why is this team nowhere near as good as I thought it could be? I have some thoughts. I have some ideas. Um, but I'm going to kind of hash that out and, and put it into story form and discussion form with uh, members on our site. Do it. You got to own it when you're wrong. Burn yourself. And I was, yes. I was wrong. Yes. It's good. Way it's healthy. Wrong. It's healthy. Well, I can't wait to read that. Until then. <laughs> Stop enjoying it so much. <laughs> Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.